I'm in a lab in Farmington, Connecticut, and I'm watching Deedum do some work. She's a research assistant for the company Lambda Vision, and she's pouring a pink bubbly liquid from one flask to another. It kind of looks like grapefruit juice, but it smells nothing like it. Ooh, that is stinky. <laughs> Do you guys come home smelling like this sometimes? Um, no, it doesn't stick on us. She puts the liquid into a container and screws on the lid. We just close the lid completely. Next, she'll put it in a centrifuge and spin the liquid for 30 minutes. And at the end, she'll harvest something from it. Uh, we call this the harvest. This is this is the harvest day. Yeah. Where we're we're, uh, we're collecting all the all the spoils from from a month's work of work. That's Dr. Jordan Greco. He's the chief scientific officer of Lambda Vision. Deedum and Jordan are in the middle of a harvest. What they're harvesting is a protein called Bacteriorhodopsin. I guess it says uh, satisfying as farming or something like that. You know, you right. put a lot of work into uh, growing, uh, maintaining an environment that, that's conducive for the growth of these organisms. Like a proud farmer at the end of a harvest, Jordan stands in the laboratory, looking on as his company's work edges closer to success. Success for his company, though, means more than a good harvest today. It means curing something that's never fully been cured before. Lambda Vision is creating a protein-based retinal implant to treat patients that are blinded by retinal degenerative diseases. So what is it that you're trying to cure? We're trying to cure uh, blindness due to macular degeneration and retinitis pigmentosa. How does it feel to say we're trying to cure blindness? Uh, it may sound ambitious, um, but it is something that, that we truly believe in, and, and we believe that our technology has the capability of, of making this impact on millions of people across the world, um, and we're working hard every day to make this a reality. I'm Ali Oshinsky, and in this podcast, I'm opening the doors of UConn TIP, the University of Connecticut's technology incubation program. Here, companies are doing things with research and medicine that could change the course of a field of science. They scribble complex equations on whiteboards, they swirl flasks of pink bubbly liquid, and they work with concepts it takes a PhD to understand. So my promise to you, you don't need a PhD to understand this podcast, which is good because I don't have a PhD. The TIP program works to extend the reach of research done at the University of Connecticut. They are moving ideas and the people who have them from concept to market. And this podcast will follow suit. We're going to extend those ideas into conversations, see how startups get moving. And I'm going to take you inside the journey of these companies, one at a time. This is Inside Yukon TIP, making the technology of tomorrow today. Okay, so first stop, Lambda Vision. You've already met Jordan. Uh, my name is Jordan Greco. I'm uh, the Chief Scientific Officer of Lambda Vision. And this is Dr. Nicole Wagner. My name is Nicole Wagner. I'm the President and CEO of Lambda Vision. I've met with them over the past few months, seen their labs, asked them questions, and learned what they're doing. 
In this podcast, I'm going to walk you through the science of how Lambda Vision is trying to change the way blindness is treated. The types of blindness they're looking to cure are caused by age-related macular degeneration and retinitis pigmentosa. In this episode, we're going to focus on the age-related macular degeneration. Before they filled flasks with pink bubbly juice, Jordan and Nicole met in the research group of Dr. Robert Burge, a Yukon professor and another key figure in this story. And there, they met the most important part of this whole story, a protein and one of the oldest organisms on the planet. Let's, let's start back uh, uh, three and a half billion years on, on Earth. It was uh, used by one of the earliest organisms on the planet. Um, it, it's now called Halobacterium salinarum. This is that professor. Robert Burge, professor of chemistry. He brought this protein into the lives of Jordan and Nicole. He's spent a long time working with bacteria rhodopsin. I've been working on this for 35 years. Uh, started in the 1970s. But how it came into his life is also a pretty interesting story. I want to know, what were the conditions in which you were asked to start working on this bacteria rhodopsin? Okay, well, the conditions were the Cold War. Uh, the Soviet Union was switching from semiconductor technology to something else. They didn't know what it was going to be, so they put a lot of... So in the Soviet Union, they funded this scientist named Ochinikov. He was supposed to figure out how to use bacterial rhodopsin to make computers faster. This was the cutting edge of computing at the time. They were using semiconductor technology, optical devices, and trying to get faster data storage. And the Soviet Union was in a race with the United States to find a way to move their data faster. And of course, the U.S. Department of Defense found out about this. And of course, it bothered the people in the Department of Defense saying, well, um, they may have an end run here. We need to know what's going on. So they funded... Uh, five research groups to get involved in bacteria rhodopsin-based research. And Dr. Burge was in one of those research groups. He was working at the University of California, Riverside, as an assistant professor. And he was looking for a way, like many other professors, to fund his basic research. And then the Department of Defense walked through his door with funding for this research. So he took them up on it. What were you thinking this would be applied to at that time? Uh Okay, let me be honest. I thought this was a great way to make some money for my research, and we would just do basic research. We didn't think any of these devices were going to work. But, uh, but some of those devices did work. They made an optical disk memory that used bacterial rhodopsin. It was here, in these labs working on optical computing, that the research began that would pave the way for Lambda Vision. That research has lasted the span of Dr. Burge's career. Not so much with a specific goal in mind, but with a constant quest to see more of what this incredible protein can do. And now it's in eyeballs. Or it will be. Dr. Burge has followed this field closely, and he started to realize that a protein-based approach, when applied in a similar way, could work a lot better than the electronic implants that he's talking about here. So at a certain point... You must have been developing the research on this and, and said to yourself, oh, maybe we can use this in other applications. 
what to you or maybe Nicole or Jordan was like that tipping point where you thought maybe this could work in eyes? That actually came quite late. Uh, and it came... Uh, Dr. Burge has followed this protein closely, and he started to see a trend. There were a lot of groups working on photovoltaic and electronic implants. Others were trying to develop technologies that can capture light and transmit a signal to an implant in the eye, something called an implantable electrode array. Instead, Dr. Burge created a protein-based implant that took advantage of a special property of bacterial rhodopsin. You see, it's a light-activated protein, so that means when light is absorbed by it, it creates a signal by pumping a proton. After reading literature from these research groups, Dr. Bird saw this protein pump as his ticket to activating the retina. Using the proton pump capability, we got uh, signals that were significantly better. That was essentially a piece of luck. And, and so that's what we're doing now. Uh, we're just using the native ability of the protein to pump a proton. The proton produces a pH difference outside the bipolar and ganglion cells, and that's enough to set off a signal. And uh, frankly, we didn't think that would work at first, but it did. This story of bacterial rhodopsin has been a long time in the making. And the next stage of this story, the next stopping point for bacterial rhodopsin, it's with Jordan and Nicole. They met in 2004 in Dr. Burge's classroom. Nicole was Jordan's TA at the time. And Dr. Burge invited them into his research group. There, they started to see how this protein lines up with a very specific problem. Macular degeneration. And Nicole has a good explanation for what macular degeneration is. Macular degeneration and retinitis pigmentosa are diseases which affect the photoreceptor cells or your rods and cone cells of the eye. The rods and cones are responsible for taking light energy and converting that light energy into a series of signals that will eventually stimulate the optic nerve and send a visual impulse to the brain. When you have these diseases, the rods and cone cells or your Light-activated cells die, and when they die, you can no longer effectively capture light and convert that into a signal that's being sent to the brain. So essentially, it's a type of blindness. And what is it that bacterial rhodopsin does? It's light-activated. And boom, light bulb goes off. They knew at this point in time that the protein they'd been working with could be the key ingredient to treat a form of blindness, to treat macular degeneration. They could use this to cure blindness. And what next? Well, you form a company. Macular degeneration. That's not exactly a household term. So for this story to make sense... We're going to have to understand how vision works. So let's talk about eyeballs. Luckily, I know a guy. Hi, Dad. Hello, Ellie. And also, luckily, this is his field. I'm Dr. Len Oshinsky. I'm an optometrist who's practiced for over 35 years and 
I've diagnosed many patients with macular degeneration and helped manage their care. So let's start with the basics. How do eyeballs work? This is how I understand eyeballs, basically. You have light coming in, the hole in your eye. The pupil. And then you have, like, this thing at the back called the retina. Mm -hmm. The retina is kind of like the film in a camera. It receives the light from the environment. It collects the light and sends it via the optic nerve to the brain. And that's basically how we get vision. Okay, so pretty simple. Light goes in the eyeball. Eyeball transforms that into an electrical signal. And then there's a nerve that takes it to the brain. Voila, vision. Jordan and Nicole's implant will treat people with something called macular degeneration. The central part of the retina is called the macula. And so that's where we get the term macular degeneration because it's mostly the central part of the retina that has damage from macular degeneration. So in the retina, this place that transforms light into an electrical signal, that's where things go wrong. Oh, what are you showing us, Dad? Can this you explain it? This is a retinal pigment epithelium. So these are the layers of the retina. So the retina is the inside back part of the eye. My dad and I are looking at this diagram. There's all these different shapes. They kind of look like onions connected to each other with different layers. And there's one layer in there called the photoreceptors. You have a series of connections uh, between the various cells. So you have ganglion cells near the top part of the retina. Then you have the bipolar cells that connect the ganglion cells with the photoreceptors, the rods and the cones. That's where it goes wrong. And that's the problem Nicole and Jordan are trying to solve. My dad told me about a few ways that he and other doctors treat this disease. But there's nothing that reverses it completely. Or at least there isn't yet. So could I, could I get a tour of the uh, lab? Sure. Am I allowed yeah. in there? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So when Jordan and Nicole showed me what they're working on, I felt a kind of gravity in the room. In the lab, there's shelves filled with all these little jars, a long black countertop, and things that kind of look like washing machines. And right at the center, there's this refrigerator-looking thing with a window so I can see inside. That's where the grapefruit juice stuff is. It's lit up by light banks on the top, and it's very warm in there. And hear that sound? That's the machine shaking the flasks. So this is the protein that will like, make everything happen? That's right, yeah. So this is what's growing in, in uh, these flasks here is uh, an organism called Halobacterium salinarum. And what's the protein that's expressed in Halobacterium salinarum that's of interest to us is a protein called Bacteriorhodopsin. Remember Bacteriorhodopsin? In this room, they're growing it. Well, they're growing the organism that has it. Uh, and then we harvest and uh, we isolate that, pro that protein from the organism and use it and, and to coat our retinal prosthetic. That was the process we saw earlier with the pink grapefruit juice. And like the protein, this organism is really, really old. Right, so these are the, the organisms that uh, proliferated during the early years of, of planet Earth, right? When, the, when there was uh, high temperatures, an anaerobic environment, um, High light, high salt. These organisms really like salt. They proliferate in really salty places, like the Dead Sea or Lake Eyre in Australia. Jordan and Nicole basically set up a salt marsh for them to grow in. That's the refrigerator looking thing. Uh, so extremophilic means that uh, uh, 
Loves extreme, Love yeah. extreme environments. Right. And so we try to mimic the environments that it would naturally grow in um, outside and in, in the Dead Sea type of so an environment. this is like a salt marsh in here, kind of. Absolutely. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Cool. It's a really sunny salt marsh. What a lot of this comes down to is testing how the protein reacts to light and different levels of it. Think about how many kinds of light your eyeballs are exposed to. You wake up, there's just a little bit of light. The sun rises in the sky and you squint. You take a nap and it's dark. Because it is light activated, right? So a lot of what we're doing looks at what wavelengths of light stimulate the protein, how does it respond to different wavelengths of light, different intensities of light. So when we think about an extreme environment, you're thinking about you know, being constantly blasted with sunlight. But how does that change when you put the protein in the dark? And so the, the back of an eyeball is a little dark. So is that like, <laughs> is that something that you like, I don't know, how does that affect the protein? Yeah, so I, am I getting no, too far No, ahead? no, we're looking at each other because this is a very relevant topic of, of uh, what we're trying to, to, to probe right now. With Right now we're trying to, to look into this. We're doing some in vivo work uh, on, on pigs looking in vivo means in an actual organism, a living organism. Uh, the, how the implant works, but also biocompatibility, um, toxicity, uh, safety of the device in general. But you're right, I mean, the eye is a dark place. And, and Nicole and Jordan aren't testing the implants on animals in this room, but they're making the implants. Right around the corner, they show me a machine that is doing just so that. So we have an automated dipping machine which essentially works on an XY plane. The machine is holding a small piece of the film, and there's a line of beakers with solutions. And as the machine moves, it's dipped in each one of the beakers. And in one of those beakers is the protein. And that process is repeated multiple times to build up a multi-layer thin film that is stable enough, as well as dense enough, optically dense enough, to absorb enough light, similar to the light that you would see in an office. At the end of it all, it looks like a small piece of purple construction paper. You can think of it as, as a very thin size of an eraser or um, a piece of paper punch. So imagine uh, cutting out a piece of purple construction paper with a paper punch. And that little punch is what, what we're using. So at the end, all of this labor, all of these pieces moving in the lab, it's all for an implant the size of an eraser. And the most exciting and maybe terrifying part of this is this is a startup. Jordan and Nicole have shaped their lives around Lambda Vision. So for them, there's a lot riding on this tiny eraser-sized implant. But while I was in that noisy lab with Jordan and Nicole, I was seeing the minutia of it all. I was seeing this implant up close. And it's just one element of a bigger question. How do they get this protein and this implant to reverse blindness? The work is tedious, and they've been at it for years, bent over the benchtop, coordinating all the little parts to something bigger. I wanted to know, when they step back, what keeps them going. What, what do you think when you're like working on small things? I mean, I guess the way I would think of this is that, you know, these are all small parts to a bigger goal. I mean, while you're thinking and, you know, our, our ultimate goal is to develop a retinal prosthetic, there are a lot of components that go into 
making the retinal prosthetic or making any type of a technology. And then keep in mind what is the big goal of getting this into, into a person um, and restoring vision, which I think is, is really important and is the reason really that we're, we're here and we keep working on, on this. I mean, sometimes it's the small little pieces uh, that you know, take the most time or maybe the most challenging but when you step back and you say, you know, this, this may be frustrating today, why, you know, you, you get caught up in the little details. At the end of the day, this has a huge impact um, on a lot of people, millions of people. Making this podcast, I had to keep in mind that I'm seeing just one month in the life of a protein that's 3.5 billion years old. And more importantly, the research it took to harness its potential benefits. It'll still be some time until they have this implant in clinical trials. But Jordan and Nicole haven't lost sight despite the timeline. Because for them, the patient is at the center of the story. For me, that's what keeps me going every single day. I mean, when I wake up in the morning, I think about, um, you know, the millions of people that this could really, really help. I mean, you think about the person who is at the height of their career who can no longer see a computer screen and has had to give up their job. Or, you know, a person who finds out they're going to be a grandmother and they can't read their grandchildren their favorite bedtime story because they can no longer see and read. You know, you'll, you'll get caught up in the little things. You'll get caught up in the administrative tasks. You'll get caught up in accounting and you know, taxes and fundraising and all of those pieces. But then you'll get a phone call that says, you know, my grandmother, you know, is losing her vision. When, when would she be able to use something like this? This episode of Tip was produced by me, Ali Oshinsky. The voices you heard on this episode were Dita Moskan, Jordan Greco, Nicole Wagner, Robert Burge, and Len Oshinsky. Special thanks to Mustafa Anilui, Paul Parker, and Paige Rasset. For more information on TIP, please visit tip.ucon.edu. And to keep up with Jordan and Nicole, check out their site, lambdivision.com. I'm Ali Oshinsky, and thank you for listening the Technology Incubation Program podcast. This is TIP. <laughs>